Welcome to the Chartered Trading Standards Institute EU Exit Podcast. I'm Paul Evans. In this podcast, updated in January 2021 following the agreement of a deal between the UK and the EU, we'll be taking a look at how intellectual property enforcement will be affected by the UK's exit from the European Union. Despite the UK no longer being a member of the EU, many of its rules and laws will continue to have effect, having become part of the EU-retained law in the UK. To help trading standards professionals make sense of this, we spoke to CTSI's lead officer for intellectual property, Gavin Terry. Gavin guided us through the roles of entities such as the World Intellectual Property Organization and the European Patents Organization in protecting the intellectual property rights of UK businesses. The intellectual property protections available to UK-based businesses are already fairly complex, consisting of a series of hierarchical and interlinked mechanisms which are applicable in different scenarios. The UK government has said that EU exit and any further secondary legislation will not make major changes to policy or legislation beyond those that are necessary to ensure the law continues to work properly. However, since January the 1st, the UK has ceased to be a member of the EU trademark registration system. This will mean that community trademark registrations under the EU system will no longer include protection within the UK, and European registrations will only grant protection of rights in the remaining 27 EU countries. Gavin started by explaining the lead officer role and giving us a bit of background on Brexit and intellectual property enforcement. So my key roles for the for CTSI are as a resource and provide, I provide advice on intellectual property to both CTSI as a body and to members of CTSI individually as well. And we're always available to take questions and requests for information from members of the Institute. If you just contact us through the lead officer email address. As part of my role for CTSI, I advise CTSI always on key policy issues in relation to intellectual property. I represent CTSI in the, in the IP Crime Group, and I also represent CTSI at the National Markets Group, uh, where I also fulfil the role of the Vice Chairperson of the group at the moment. As well as those roles, I, for the, over 10 years, I've worked on the EU projects on behalf of the European Union. I've worked as a seconded a short-term expert on various EU accession projects and twinning projects and mutual assistance projects. So I have a, a, an expertise and an understanding of, of how the, the European Union works and how other countries work towards accession and work towards engagement. So it's perhaps quite apt, uh, or at least it gives me an insight into the whole process. And finally, as part of my role as lead officer, I've been a member of the CTSI Brexit think tank from its inception, obviously providing the intellectual property import into the work of the Brexit think tank itself. When one's looking at the, the nature of the framework of intellectual property rights, one has to bear in mind that we sit within an international system, an international framework. And whilst intellectual property rights are territorial in nature, so you have a UK trademark, which has effect in the United Kingdom, you have a, a German trademark, which has effect in Germany, or a, a US or an American trademark, which has protection in the United States of America. The rights are fundamentally territorial, but they sit within the, the wider regional and international framework. So I like to use the analogy of the, the Russian or the babushka dolls, where you have the succession of identical dolls sitting within one another. At an international level, the, the intellectual property framework is administered by the World Intellectual Property Office, or WIPO, 
at a European level, we have the European Intellectual Property Office. And obviously, at, a, at the national level, we have the Intellectual Property Office, uh, which is based in Newport and London in the UK. We will leave the European framework, but we will still remain in the wider international framework. So we will still be in the larger doll, for want of a better analogy. So we'll always be sitting within the international framework, and that limits the, the flexibility and the ability for, for uh, countries around the world to diverge from the world intellectual property framework which oversits all the other frameworks around the world. So the basis of European law that, that has established a framework of UK law is derived from the European directives. And we obviously have the trademark directives, copyright directives, design directives, and the IP enforcement directive, which looks, looks at the enforcement of rights. The, the situation in relation to patents is, is slightly different. There isn't one overarching patent directive, but, the, but there is a move within Europe, and there has been a move within Europe since about 2010, 2012, to develop a unitary patent, which will be an EU-wide patent. Interestingly, only 26 member states have actually uh, subscribed to join the unitary patent uh, system, so two of uh, Spain and one other country have chosen not to take part in the framework. We have trademark directives, copyright directives, design directives, the enforcement directive, and then we have a set of rules and regulations around the unitary patent. But uh, the, the process of creating an EU-wide patent has, has been dogged by dissent, perceived problems. And as you can see, you know, it started in 2010. The, the union is still not in a position to implement the, the system. The Trademarks Act 1994, which is the principal UK piece of legislation in relation to trademarks, was obviously brought into force in 1994. And at the time, it implemented the EU Trademark Directive and set out the basis of trademark law in the UK along the lines of the, the you know, and in accordance with the minimum standards set out in the Trademark Directive itself. One of the big advantages of European trademarks, for example, is that one application to the European office will provide protection in the 28 member states. WIPO is a self-funding agency of the United Nations and it's based in Geneva in Switzerland. And over 193 countries from around the world are members of, of WIPO. The interesting thing about WIPO is that it's the international guardian of intellectual property rights and its remit is across the globe. Individual member states sign up to be members of WIPO and are bound by WIPO's rules and regulations. But it's a more of a consensual organisation in the fact that it, it leads by persuasion and, and coercion rather than by compulsion, uh, which is, is slightly different from the, the fact that the European system, it, it was a legal compulsion that the UK actually had to comply with the European directives. One of the changes is the fact that we will move into a consensual system rather than a compulsory system. Uh, but both systems adhere to the same minimum standards uh, in relation to you know, definition of rights and protection of rights and things like that. The European Patent Organisation, it's not an EU body, it's an international body, it's a, a wider body than the, just being an EU body. We will still remain members of the European Patent Organisation and the European Patent Office and the European Patent Council. Brexit will not affect our status in relation to the European Patent Organization and the European Patent Office because they're not EU bodies. The European Patent Office and the European Patent Organization currently have 38 
member countries and uh, as well as the EU member states, they have uh, Norway, for example, Switzerland are members and some of the Balkan countries, Serbia, North Macedonia and Albania and Turkey, four countries where I've worked on behalf of the European Union on EU projects. Those four countries are our signatories to the European Patent Organisation and are members of this European network. Uh, so it's an international organisation. One application to the EPO will give you protection in all 38 member countries. So that's a, a fourth route to registration for patents. And it, it's a bit of an outlier. As we've seen with intellectual property rights, the UK framework sits within European and international frameworks. And it's essentially the same with trade and trade rules. Just as we saw with WIPO, we also have the World Trade Organization, uh, which again is another UN body. And it, it sits, it, well, it accounts for 98% of world trade. And so again, with the Babushka dolls, you have the WTO doll, which is the big doll. If you open that, uh, you would find uh, the various different global trade agreements and arrangements would also would be smaller dolls. Uh, one of those dolls would be the European Union, the internal market. And then one of the smaller dolls would be the UK trade area, which would sit uh, within the global framework. So again, we, we sit in these coterminous of different systems, which actually establish the, the global framework. You may ask, you know, why do we need to be a member of any trade agreement? Well, fundamentally, it, it, it's part of international law or part of international goodwill and precedence. The fact that uh, uh, there are a set of world trade rules and the majority of the global countries have, have, have signed up to them. There are a few countries that aren't WTO members, but they're in the minority. So the majority of the, the globe, of the world, accept that you need to have trading rules. Trade rules are like contracts. They're agreements between countries or between economic areas that set out the rules for trade. So we need trade terms. UK business need to have trade terms to know how they can trade with a business in Northern Ireland. They need to know the trade rules in relation to trade with France. They need to know the trade rules in relation to trade with America or Australia. So we have to have a framework of rules unless you want to step outside the, the global consensus, which I suggest is unlikely. You know, if you try to step outside WTO, well, you know, it's a bit like a consumer uh, buying a vehicle for cash, buying a car for cash. The majority of people want, want the assurance of a set of rules and regulations and statutory rights. So they want to uh, buy a car with a contract where it spells out the rules and the terms of the deal and things like that. Whereas if you accept a cash sale uh, with no paperwork, with no, no rules or regulations, then you're taking a risk. And it's exactly the same with global trade. The withdrawal agreement and the political declaration are now incorporated into law by virtue of the European Withdrawal Agreement Act 2020. And in relation to intellectual property in the withdrawal agreement, there are a set of measures that, that are, are written in there to, to in order to continue the existing levels of protection for rights. So the measures in the withdrawal agreement are aimed at continuing the existing levels of protection for community trademarks, uh, registered community designs, uh, community unregistered design rights and exhaustion. So the, the, the aim of the withdrawal agreement is to carry over the existing system without or with a minimum of disruption. In the political declaration itself, there are four paragraphs that relate to intellectual property, four commitments uh, in, in the political declaration, which was agreed by the UK and the EU. And the first uh, commitment is to provide a system of IP protection enforcement, which goes beyond the standards of WTO and TRIPS 
and beyond the standards of the WIPO Convention. So aspirational in the political declaration, aiming for a system that's better or beyond the existing standards in TRIPS. The second commitment is that the future agreement should preserve the current high levels of IP protection in the UK and specific mention are made to cut certain copyrights and to geographical indications. The third commitment is that the parties should maintain the freedom to establish their own IP rights exhaustion regimes. So they're reserving the right to drift apart, if you like, in relation to exhaustion. And the fourth a commitment in the political declaration is that both parties should establish a mechanism for cooperation and exchange of information on IP rights. And I'm sure that is to, be, is to maintain the higher levels of cooperation that exist between our UK Intellectual Property Office at the moment. Uh, they have very good relations and very close working relationships with the European Intellectual Property Office. And it would seem that that paragraph, uh, that commitment is seeking to extend that relationship. The philosophy behind the, the new regulations, the new EU exit regulations, as they're called collectively, the whole essence and the theory behind them is to transfer across what will work, delete or amend what won't work. So in effect, what it means is the fact that, you know, obviously the, 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 the law has to be translated so, so that it still makes sense, so that it still applies in the UK. And so there's been a big translation process, which is basically boils down to the fact that in a lot of cases they've had to... Uh, remove references to the EU or the European Union or European Community or the European Economic Area. Any references to those terms will be translated into UK to make the, the law apply within the UK or not. In relation to intellectual property law, we've already seen that the withdrawal agreement is worded to actually effect this transition or this translation process whereby the pre-existing uh, UK law is translated and certainly you know in the withdrawal agreement the whole basis of the wording legislation was actually to just to transfer the rights across so that they still have effect. Withdrawal agreement commits both parties to ensuring that there's there's no loss of protections so that rights holders don't lose anything as a result of the uh, UK leaving the EU and work and stepping outside the European legal framework. The UK government have committed to automatically creating comparable registered trademarks, which will be the uh, European trademarks, which have actually been transferred across into UK trademarks. These new comparably registered trademarks will have a, a new trademark number and the existing European trademark number uh, will be prefixed with the letters and numbers UK009. A European trademark that's been transferred across to become a UK registered trademark will begin with the, the will begin UK 009 and then the rest of its unique number. Uh, so you'll be able to tell going forward, you'll be able to tell by looking at the trademark register whether you're looking at a, a UK trademark that's always been registered or you'll be looking at a comparable registered trademark. In reality, they'll both have the same status, so it, it won't really make a, a large, great deal of difference. To, and that's the intention of the withdrawal agreement, the actual transitional process of creating the new uh, comparable trademarks it doesn't create any detriment or loss to the rights owner. It's a seamless, it's a, an electronic process and the rights will be transferred so that the rights owner won't notice the difference, but they will maintain protection across all 28 member countries uh, including the UK. So they won't suffer any detriment. They won't have to do anything. It will be an automatic process and it should be seamless.
from a trading standards officer's point of view, if you're dealing with alleged cases of infringement in future, the only issue potentially is the fact that if there's been some sort of mistake or if a rights holder hasn't transferred his application uh, within the nine-month uh, transfer, nine-month window, then the rights may not apply. If any rights have been created in this you know, transition period uh, up to the 1st of January, it may be worth making sure that you're looking at the, the, the correct trademark certificate that creates the right protection uh, that you have. We've seen the new trademark numbers. It's important to make sure that you're it would be doubly important to make sure that you've got the right certificates, the right numbers and, and the rights are current. I think from a professional practice point of view, we tend to accept copies of trademark certificates from rights holders. You know, we ask the trademark holder, have you got a registered trademark? Yes, they have. We'll give you a copy of it. And we don't always look at, you know, is it current? Is it right? Is it the correct trademark? It will be important going forward if it's a mark, if it's a comparable trademark or an equivalent registered design it will be important to make sure you have the correct certificate with the correct number and you're not relying on the, the old certificate. I think in terms of advice to business, you need to be aware of these changes because a business may come to you and say, we're thinking of registering a trademark. We want to protect it in Europe. How can we protect that? It's probably worth pointing out at this stage that the fact that we've left the EU on the 1st of January doesn't prevent a UK-based business applying to register a European trademark. In fact, if you are a UK business, if you want to sell goods into France or into Germany, uh, then I would suggest you want to apply to the European office in Spain uh, to get European protection, because for one application fee, you will have protection in all 27 EU member states. So even though we've left Europe, it doesn't prevent UK businesses from applying for protection at the European office for protection in the EU 27, the remaining uh, member states. Well, that's it for now. Thanks to Gavin Terry for speaking to us and thank you for listening. This episode forms part of a series of podcasts and other materials designed to help trading standards professionals make sense of EU exit. It complements the modules in the CTSI EU exit training portal. Be sure to check out the rest of the podcasts, each of which is themed around a different area of trading standards. More resources are available from CTSI at www.tradingstandards.uk forward slash EU exit. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye.